Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here on a Tuesday alongside good friend of mine and co-managing editor over at brewhoop.com, Mitchell Maurer. Things are starting to get a little bit interesting here. We were just discussing before we started recording. I was considering not sleeping through the night. You were struggling to get some work done. Uh, things are starting to heat up a little bit. Yeah, the, uh, the NBA officially, well, I don't know if there was ever an official statement, but I know Woj reported over the weekend that they were going to uh, open the window for transactions to happen, and uh, tr- transactions start happening. So, of course, once those stories come flying around and everybody wants to add their two cents, it uh, it all adds up in a hurry. So we're going to rattle through a bunch of things today. I, I did promise yesterday that we're going to have some audio from John Horse uh, press conference that was this morning. And by the way, I, I completely stuffed up my time. You would think I'd know Australian time to Milwaukee time by now, but I got up at three o'clock. Uh, I'm on this call. I'm waiting around. I'm thinking, what is going on? Why is no one on this call? And I realized it was actually at 4 a.m. So I went back to sleep and or tried to go back to sleep there. Uh, it didn't go too well. But anyway, we got there. I've got some audio. We're going to run through some questions uh, here today. So we will do that. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, but let's start with CP3. This trade went through virtually straight away uh, as soon as trades were allowed to go through, although the the trade isn't official, but the deal's done in principle here. So Chris Paul is going to be going uh, to the Phoenix Suns in a deal that uh, basically the the major framework here is Kelly Oubre Jr. and also uh, Ricky Rubio. So, uh, you know, two kind of handy pieces there. What was your thoughts when you saw this one go down, even though it was somewhat expected at this point? Yeah, I think that it's an interesting move for Phoenix. Um, they get a chance to get a major upgrade. I mean, Chris Paul is going to be an upgrade for nearly anybody at the point guard position, uh, anybody in the league. And uh, they're, uh, I feel like they might be skipping a step or two in terms of mm-hmm. the direction that they're taking their franchise. But in terms of proving to Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton that you're serious about building a team around them, there, there aren't very many better ways to do that and all things considered, you know, yeah, yeah, you have to deal with Chris Paul's contract. Yeah, you have to deal with Chris Paul um, and everything that comes with that. But giving up Ubre and giving up, you know, everything else they give up is not that bad of a move. It really isn't that bad of a move. And then for Oklahoma City, obviously, they're all about restocking <laughs> and rebuilding. They're not really <clears> – <throat> they weren't really expected to compete this year. You know, CP3 was already on his way out. Gallo's probably on the way out. Schroeder's already – in Los Angeles. So they're, uh, they're just doing their best to keep moving on and, you know, doing what they have to do to uh, make their next big run whenever they do that. So it makes sense all around. Uh, having Paul stay in the West is nice for the Bucks because now the teams that are out there that need a point guard or would really benefit from a real point guard like Philly, um, they don't have that. And so there's fewer options for them to improve, which 
I would much rather just worry about our team and not worry about anything else. But sometimes you have to take stock of everything in the neighborhood. Yeah, we spoke about that a little bit. I think that's certainly a factor in all this. The fact that Chris Paul did stay out west is probably a good thing for Milwaukee. The other thing of note here would certainly be that, as you mentioned, with Schroeder and now Chris Paul leaving, Gallinari, no one expected him to be back there, but he's going to be playing somewhere else. So this becomes the next piece now with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and we'll see what uh, Gallo does in free agency. But as far as the Bucks go, I know there was a tweet not too long ago here, probably in the last couple of hours as we're recording. Uh, Chris Mannix uh, tweeted out that uh, the Bucks never engaged in conversations uh, with the Thunder regarding CP3. Now, I see that there's a lot of people out there tweeting about this, and uh, Andrew Sharp has said, oh, the Bucks owners are dumb or whatever he said. And I understand that reaction to an extent, but there is a reason why on this podcast that we haven't spoke about Chris Paul over the last couple of weeks because Shams and our great friend, Eric Name, reported that the Bucks were not going to pursue Chris Paul because they didn't think that it was a good fit with Giannis and really basically hinted at the fact that Giannis perhaps didn't want to play alongside Chris Paul. So, I mean, to me, I, I, there's no disappointment that this wasn't going to happen. We knew this was going to be an extremely tough deal to manufacture with the pieces that the Bucks have and getting this salary together to get Chris Paul. And let's be honest, outside of uh, Chris Middleton, Kelly Oubre is a pretty nice piece anyway. So even if you had have engaged with Oklahoma City and got tried to get something done, there's a chance you wouldn't have been able to anyway because we've spoke, the Bucks don't have great assets. Chris Paul would have been the ultimate swing for the fences, but I gave up on this one a little while ago. I mean, it would have been an ultimate swing for the fences, but it was a wild pitch because the Bucks weren't in the Chris Paul business. In the article that you referenced that Eric wrote for yeah. The Athletic, like, they, of course you can't come out and say, no, Chris Paul's good, but we have no interest in him. You can't say that, but everything that was said in that article made it pretty clear that they just weren't interested in Chris Paul himself. And it's not about the money. It's not about the contract. The Bucks ownership knows that they're going to have to go into the tax. And this is the season where they're planning on doing it all along. That's why there was the whole kerfuffle about Malcolm Brogdon. No, we can't have an episode of Lockdown Bucks where we don't mention Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> but they're going to go into the tax. They're going to pay. They're going to do what it takes to build a winner and convince Giannis to stay. And so if you consider that perspective for a moment, like, okay, if the Bucks are going to make a decision and it's all centered on making Giannis stay and the Bucks decide not to engage Chris Paul, do you think that maybe that has something to do with their indication on whether or not that would make Giannis more likely to stay? I, I don't know anything. I can't say I've talked to anybody inside the organization, but it, it wasn't in the cards. It just wasn't in the cards, and it was for more reasons than just the Bucks being cheap because it was, that's, that doesn't matter right now. There's a lot of interesting options out there for the Bucks, and for multiple reasons that we've spoke about. I don't know whether they're going to be able to get them done, but uh, I agree that Chris Paul to me was always a move of a desperate franchise. And I, you know, I, I would have got around it. Trust me, if they had got it done, I would have said, hell yeah, let's go. Giannis and Chris Paul, let's see what we've got. But at the same time, Paul had a fantastic season this year. He is 35. There's no telling uh, how his body is going to hold up. He's had injury history in the past, and there was significant risk to give up virtually everything you've got uh, for this guy. Uh, so uh, long story short, I just wasn't all that surprised that they didn't go down this path. The other news that came out today, though, uh, Robin Lopez declined his uh, roughly $5 million option for 
the 2021 season. Now, I do, we spoke about this yesterday with Justin on the podcast and, and we were probably looking at it from a different angle and saying, well, look, Robin Lopez probably isn't going to get that money anywhere else. He's kind of comfortable here. He seems happy playing in Milwaukee. You've certainly had a good time by, uh, by the looks of things from uh, what I saw when I was in Milwaukee and, and from afar during the bubble. The point that came up in uh, our group message that we've got going with, with Frank and Eric and uh, Dean was that, you know, purely from a professional standpoint, declining this option potentially makes a fair bit of sense for Robin Lopez because when you look at the money he's earned over his career, he's earned decent money. Uh, I don't think that $1 million or $1.5 million is going to uh, break the bank or send him into despair by any stretch. But he's probably a smart guy and he's probably looking at the Bucks trying to manufacture all these trades and get salary together for guys that are legitimate NBA players, which Robin Lopez is. So that $5 million salary was a pretty tasty sum that you could include in a deal. And I think it was Frank that pointed it out. I know we've spoke about sign and trade possibilities with Bogdan Bogdanovich, but uh, Robin Lopez, there's a fair chance... If that deal goes down, he could end up in that deal and find himself in Sacramento. He declines this option now and now gets to do what he wants to do. Yeah, I think it's too often of an occurrence where people think about what they want and they don't think about what the person involved wants. Like everybody thinks like, oh, well, if I was Robin Lopez, I would no, I want to take the money. I'm not going to be able to make more than $5 million. The market's not that high of a... End up signing for what two, two and a half million? That's that's just too much of a loss. I'd rather stick safe and stick with the money. But that's you. That's not Robin Lopez. And he's the only one who matters because he's the one who had to make the decision. And he did. He values the opportunity to pick his destination more than the money. He values the, probably the opportunity for playing time more than he values the money. He he played a decent amount in the regular season. He averaged a little over like fourteen minutes a game. Uh, as the backup to twin brother Brooke. But when the playoffs came around and the, you know, the lineups got smaller, there was no place for Robin on the floor. And, you know, these guys are competitive. They're not there just to collect checks. They're there to win and they're there to compete. And, if, you know, he was just going to be stuck on the bench again for a second year in Milwaukee. And if that's not making him feel utilized. That's not giving him what he needs. Then, he, by all means, he should you know test his market elsewhere and see where he can land, especially if he has the full you know agency to pick where he wants to end up. So it makes perfect sense when you consider what his priority is, not what our priorities might be if we were in that situation. I don't know about you, Kane. I would definitely <laughs> play it safe and just definitely take the money, but I am not a professional athlete. Oh, I would be opting in and I'd be like, send me to Sacramento. I don't really care. I actually don't care if I play. Just give me like the $5 million. But the NBA draft is finally here and the Locked On Podcast Network will have live draft coverage this year on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch at Locked On Live. It will be the only place you can find Chad Ford, the goat of draft analysis on the night of the draft. Join Chad, Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks, and David Locke for the most in-depth coverage of the NBA draft featuring analysis from Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated. You also find me on there for a small section of the night. Follow Locked On Live at Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, and get alerts as soon as they go live. And a quick note about our friends from Built right now, and in particular, Built Go, because whether it's a mental or physical wall, you can break through it with Go every single day. Uh, This energy gel comes in easy 1.5-ounce packages, 
Build Go, quite simply, is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and you get better results. There's three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. Build Go is loaded with good stuff to ignite your work day, whether it's exercise, whether it's just trying to get through work and, and the, the hustle and bustle of the day. It is going to help you. There's no doubt about that. And we have an offer for you. Go to builtgo.com and use promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at builtgo.com. I think it is interesting. We spoke about the Lakers and Wesley Matthews on yesterday's show. Um, you, you can go back and check that out uh, if you didn't catch that one. And that's certainly a possibility. It's interesting, though. I don't want to be, you know, produce the full Lakers doomsday scenario here. Like, I don't think that Robin Lopez leaving the Bucks is would be a huge hole in the rotation. As you said, I think that if anything, his playing time was going to be trending backwards when we talk about Giannis playing more at the five, when we talk about Brook Lopez still being on the roster. I don't think rotation-wise it's a huge loss for Milwaukee, but uh, the Lakers are an interesting team because what are they going to do if Dwight Howard leaves? What are they going to do if JaVale McGee leaves? They did show a tendency to play a five. So, I mean, there is some scenario where Wesley Matthews and Robin Lopez are playing for uh, minimum deals on the Lakers next year, which more than anything would just be really, really sad. So I hope that that's not the case. As far as the cap goes with this, uh, we had a bunch of questions on Twitter. What does this mean? What does this $5 million uh, do for Milwaukee? So uh, this tweet that I'm just going to read here from uh, the expert, Bobby Marks. Uh, it's not quite as big of an expert as Frank Madden, but we'll deal with Bobby for now. He said, including the $7 million non-guaranteed contract of Ersan Ilyasova. So that becomes interesting. We can touch on that in just a second. Milwaukee is right at $123 million in salary with 11 players. Uh, that includes the pick 24, the first round pick. Uh, the luxury tax is at 132.7. So there's a gap of uh, around uh, 10 million there, just under. Hard caps at 138.9. Lopez declining his option gives Milwaukee some more flexibility regarding the 9.3 mid level exception. Uh, we know this. The Bucks don't have a lot of room to move. That's why they're discussing potential moves for Bogdanovich in a sign and trade so they can ship out some salary to bring some in. Uh, they the, the mid-level exception is probably their biggest key to picking up a some sort of difference maker this offseason. But things are tight, even with Robin, uh, Robin Lopez uh, declining this option. Yeah, it's not the most wiggle room that you could have gotten, but it's it's more than we expected, right? Like, yeah. you know, for, for better or for worse, uh, the expectation was that Robin was going to opt in and that those $5 million were going to become guaranteed salary. Um now with you know you're able to duck five mil from that figure and now all of a sudden you have a little bit more availability to uh go a little bit harder for a free agent that might make a difference like a Danilo Gallinari who we mentioned earlier and who previously had indicated he was willing to take less of a salary in order to compete for a championship uh Jermichael Green is another candidate that a lot of people think would be an excellent addition to this Bucks team but the problem is, Robin on the team, you you would if you do use anything more than the five point seven million, that's the taxpayer mid level exception, then the the hard cap that you referred to earlier, that tax apron line, becomes just an unmovable object. You cannot under any circumstances 
go higher than that. And with the sign-in trade rumors that we've already heard about with Bogdanovich from Sacramento, they're probably going to run up against that hard cap through that avenue. And so with Robin on the outs now, you have the ability to maybe sign an impact player and do that sign-in trade, which both either one of which will invoke the hard cap, which is about 138, a little bit higher. Um, but you can still have enough space to fill out the roster with minimum deals elsewhere. Um, yeah, your, your 13, 14, 15th man isn't going to be necessarily the most exciting, but you're going to have a much stronger top eight, maybe nine if you're trying to stretch it. Uh, and we've already seen that from the Bucks and you know where they've fallen short in the playoffs. Like that matters. It matters a lot more who's at the front of your bench rather than the end of the bench. It just it's that's what it's going to take in order to consolidate your strengths and try to you know win a playoff series and then another and then another and then get to the finals. So it's really interesting that this has played out that way because uh, I'll get to some John Horst audio in a, a little bit here, but I just want to throw a couple more things at you. Uh, John Horst this morning was asked about. Uh, the roster and, and assets and how do you uh, try and acquire players, whether it's through the draft, whether it's, uh, you know, G League players and, and those types of guys. And Horse spoke specifically about the fact that he thought that the Bucks roster over the last couple of years has had guys that, that play deep and the roster is so deep and there's not enough minutes for a lot of players there. And he said that most contenders genuinely have most of their money and most of their resources in six or seven guys. And then they're able to pick up those younger players towards the back end of the roster that can come in and become sort of hidden gems. And you get more of a chance uh, to acquire those guys rather than just veterans. And it was kind of an interesting point because as you look at the way this is shaping up for the Bucks, and we don't know who they're going to acquire, uh, we've bemoaned for a long time the fact that the Bucks have had to uh, let go of players like Christian Wood and players like, uh, you know, certainly to a lesser extent, but, you know, this year there was some talk about Dragon Bender. And these guys, these young guys that you sort of take a swing on that have been um, perhaps overlooked or they've struggled to get their opportunity and there's just been no room for them on the roster because basically 1 through 15, the Bucks have had veteran players that could actually play and Bud has taken advantage of that with the uh, with the rotation that he's played so deep that has really sent Bucks fans mad over the last couple of years. So it's it could be an interesting shift this offseason where, as you said, the bottom end of the, the roster could be uh, young guys and, and it could be a couple of undrafted players or it could be G League players or it just could be a different situation to what we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah, but that's, that's exactly the point is that what we've done in the past, it, 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 I'm not going to say it hasn't worked because the Bucks have been the best team in the league in the regular season for two years running. So they're putting themselves in a position to be successful. So yes, it has worked, but the best advantage that they had last season which was momentum and the ability to avoid fatigue and the ability to load manage because they had such a deep roster that ended up not mattering because of the COVID shutdown and nobody could have seen that coming but it you know it's not terribly different than what happened the season before like obviously the names and the places are different but the general story was roughly the same in that you know in the playoffs when the rotations tighten up and coaches are more likely to play fewer guys you know, you have to make sure that your talent is consolidated. You need to be a little bit more top-heavy in order to make it work. And fit still matters, and how everybody's game complements each other matters. But it just it doesn't matter as much. So 
if you know in a 72 game season if the bucks were on track previously to win 58 and now they only win 52 you know that's that's a worthy trade-off if it makes them more competent in the postseason which is what we all care about so just quickly here Ersan Oyasova, as uh, that Bobby Mark's tweet indicated there, the $7 million. I think we all looked at this, and as we've acknowledged before, you would have to guarantee that salary and then use Ersan in a trade. And whether or not you know you, you have that planned out and that's something you're going to do, time will tell. That $123 million that they're at right now in guaranteed salaries is assuming that Ersan Oyasova opts in again if you're looking for a trade that seven million dollars is going to be very handy if you can flip him i don't think anyone wanted to actually pay ursan seven million dollars this year uh, do you think that the robin lopez decision changes that at all because I, I think that is an interesting part of this i think that with with lopez in the fold i think that there was a chance not a strong one but a chance that the bucks would waive Ursan in order to save that money. Now that Robin is out and that money is no longer there to be able to aggregate into other salary, I think it's almost a guarantee that Ursan's money is guaranteed yeah. for the specific purpose of including him in a trade, whether that's this week as you know the transaction season is just opening up or somewhere down the line, like say even at the trade deadline of the regular season. I think that's what's going to happen because when you look at the Bucks cap sheet, you know, with the salaries that they have that they want to move or are willing to move, Eric Bledsoe makes 16.9. George Hill makes 9.6 about. DJ Wilson makes 4.5. Ursan makes that 7. And that's basically it. Like, they're, they're obviously not going to move Giannis or Chris. That's preposterous. I don't think it's likely that they move Brooke Lopez. I think they should consider it if the right deal came along, but they're not going to do it. And the only other guy under contract is Thanasis, who, like, that's that he makes 1.7. Nobody's going to trade for him. It just, that there's no point in even considering him when you're looking at your trade chips. And so, if you're trying to, like, move up a salary slot from Bledsoe, like, that 16.9 plus 7 is going to become, like, what, close to 24? Like, that gets you into the range of, you know, somebody who's really going to move the needle. And that's just the way the money's going to work. And they can't have. Robin's $5 million anymore. So I think that they're going to have to use Ursan sooner or later. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah, that was basically my first thought as well because the $7 million as um, what now would turn into an expiring is is interesting. And uh, as we've said uh, along the way, uh, the Bucks don't necessarily need to make a trade right this second. Obviously, it can happen through the season as well. Uh, which I think is a scenario we're going to see play out in other areas of the league, certainly James Harden and Houston. That might be one that pushes out a little bit there. Let's move on to John Horst and his press conference here. We'll just quickly zip through a couple of the answers that I, I thought were kind of fascinating. Um, you know, realistically, there's a lot of GM talk here, a lot of press conference talk and a lot of, uh, let's just say non-specific information, which you know is clear. I mean, there's only certain things that he's able to actually say. But I thought this question from Zora Stevenson first up was interesting. She basically asked John, uh, "What skill sets are you looking at uh, to pick up, whether it is a free agency, uh, a trade, or uh, in the draft?" So we'll, we'll go to this audio. Yeah, Zora, I like how you phrased that um, skill sets. You know, I think we're heavily focused on that exactly skill sets and different things that. Uh, translate to playoff success. Uh, we're less worried about positional fit. Um, I think with Chris and Giannis and and 
that group and what they can do uh, as passers and handlers and IQ and, and the way that they play make, I think that we have the opportunity to really just focus on, on consistent shooting, high-level shooting um, that translates into the playoffs, playmaking, uh, physical and mental toughness. Uh, those are the things that we've really been heavily focused on in, in a lot of our discussions and explorations into, into any of the different ways in which we can add talent to the group and, and develop talent in the group. Those are the things that the coaches and the players have been working on. You know, they've been working on shot consistency and, and um, different things like that. So I think skill set is a great way to phrase it, and that's how I'd answer that. I, I think the thing that stood out for me here was the fact that he did obviously point out the glaring weaknesses that I think we've seen from uh, the offense. So he spoke about uh, good shooters, but not only good shooters, shooters that translate to the postseason. This is something we've spoke about a lot. It's okay to spread the floor for Giannis, and it's okay to say, yeah, these guys are willing shooters, but are they actually shooters that are going to strike any fear into the opposition? And the reality is the Bucks have a bunch of guys that the opposition defense just do not care about in the postseason. We've seen that. So again, I know that a lot of people will say, well, of course, everyone is looking for that. But, but the reality that he directly pointed to this straight away, I, I think is at least something. I mean, they, they're aware. They are aware of what we're all aware of, which I think sometimes um, some fans might question. I, I, yeah, fans definitely question it. I'll question it because I'm a fan too. Um, but it, it is ludicrous to suggest that the team isn't aware of their shortcomings. And of course... We, you know, we saw them on full display against the Raptors two years ago and against the Heat where they can't depend on the defense respecting their shooters. And you know, the whole point of the wall is to slow Giannis down. The whole point of spacing the floor around Giannis is to be able to you know, score points over the wall. And when those shots don't land, then you know, the Bucks kind of don't have an answer to that. They don't have a counter. Um, you know, Eric Bledsoe certainly has never been a shooter. He's good at a lot of other things, but he's never been a shooter. George Hill fell off the face of the earth as a shooter in the bubble. Um, Dante Givincenzo is very streaky. Pat Connaughton was very streaky. Uh, you know, Kyle Korver was probably the best in terms of pure talent, the best shooter on the roster. But the dude's like, I don't even know how old he is, but the dude's old, right? And so understanding that the focus has to be on people's ability to make shots and make shots in those situations is really paramount. Uh, and it kind of goes back to the conversation that we uh, had before about, you know, looking at kind of getting a higher level of saturation of quality in the top end of the roster, because you, you need guys that can perform on that stage. You need guys that are going to be able to leverage their skills over the opposition in order to exploit weaknesses, right? Like the, the, the wall has weaknesses. The wall can be shot over, but the guys that we had on the team this past year didn't get it done. So I, I credit John Horse with being very frank with his assessment and being willing to share it. It's not just that the team is aware of it, but the team is you know, being very uh, admitting that, yes, that is the case publicly. And I think that is a big step. Um, it's not necessarily a surprise. It's not going to necessarily like you know show off what their what their strategy is or what their thinking is about their next moves. But it, it's important to to keep that in mind. And you know, honestly, the only thing that I wish maybe would have been brought up is you know the the type of dynamic playmaking that a stronger ball handler from the point guard position uh, would bring. Uh, but that's that's just me trying to shoehorn DJ Augustine in the conversation. I think that. Uh, <laughs> I think that's just, that means my quota for the day. 
So I followed up that question to Horst and said, well, you spoke about those things that uh, you mentioned in terms of uh, ball handling and shooting and shot creating, but you've basically gone to the postseason the last two years with the same core. Uh, you've got the same result, essentially, but you've been still so dominant during the regular season. So I, I just simply asked him, what have you seen from this team in the regular season that hasn't shown up, that has been exposed uh, in the postseason, and he, he gave a bit of a long-winded answer here, so uh, stick with it. But there's some interesting things at the end that I want to point out for sure. It's a great question, Kane, and and it's been one of the hardest things for me personally for our groups as we spend all this time talking about these things and studying it is to not overreact. Um, you know, we believe in in our evaluation and what translates most to playoff success as regular season success. Having a top five offense, having a top five defense. We've been historically great defensively. We've been very good offensively in the regular season. And in the last two years, um, we've we've hit a, a roadblock at different points in the playoffs um, that we weren't able to get through. So the question is, you know, in any given year, I think you have to be you have to be lucky, you have to be healthy, and you have to be good enough to win a championship. Um, two years ago, I think we were we were maybe not lucky. We were definitely healthy, and obviously we weren't good enough. You know, this year, credit to Miami. I mean, not only did they beat us, they went on to beat uh, the next team in the conference finals and, and really give the Lakers a, a heck of a series in the finals, um, even with some injuries. And so a really, really good team. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I do believe in consistent shot making, uh, the ability to create shots, um, playing with a toughness mentally and physically and, and an IQ. I think those things translate in playoff series. And we're going to continue to try to add to our team and improve those things. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you have to be healthy, you have to be lucky, and you have to be good enough. And it's not going to always be the case every year. And so the balance, Kane, is, you know, I think reacting, which we have to because we want to push the envelope and we have to be, we have to be better, but not overreacting uh, because we, we do have a foundation of success that is translatable into the playoffs. It just hasn't fully translated yet. So um, that's, that's kind of the, the balance and the internal warfare that's going on here with us as we try to figure out how to navigate these next uh, couple of weeks. I, I don't know about you, Mitchell. First of all, let me just say the whole, uh, you have to be lucky, you have to be healthy, and you have to be good enough uh, sentence was, was very funny. I, I found that it, it's probably true. I mean, I'm not saying it's not true. It is, but it was just a, a funny line. Uh, that he uh, obviously goes by there. But the one thing that right. I think stood out to me, because you talk about shot making, creating shots, fine. But the thing that, that was really interesting was playing with toughness mentally and physically, because we have spoke about this a little bit. Are the Bucks tough enough? And in the playoffs, when you're playing against a team like Miami, who had Jimmy Butler, who had Jay Crowder, who had these guys that are not scared to get down and dirty they're going to play physical and they actually go up a level if the game turns into that scrap and that's generally what you see in the postseason teams that are willing to do that do have success and i think a question that we've always asked with the bucks who's that guy for them who's the guy that when things get down and dirty outside of Giannis uh, headbutting some bench scrub uh who's the, who's the guy that's willing to get down and dirty and i'm not sure whether they had that guy and I think that's why some of the reports we've seen, whether it is a guy like uh, 
Robert Covington or, or, you know, PJ Tucker, I'm not in on, but he does have that in him. There's no doubt about that. And to be fair, so does CP3. And a lot of people mention that he is a dog. He is willing to get into it with you. He's willing to uh, play that physical style of basketball. So that was something that stood out to me. If they think that that's a hole in this team. Maybe I, I'm, I'm really not sure how much I'd buy into that in terms of, you know, that you have to get scrappy. You have to, you know, play rough, uh, not play dirty, but, you know, kind of running up on the border of that. To answer your question, um, I think that the obvious answer is OJ Mayo to get Uncle Juice back <laughs> on the vet minimum yeah, yeah. when uh, when free agency opens up. But that that's a later conversation. Uh, I think that it it really comes down to less about physical toughness and more about imposing your will on the game and forcing the other team to play on your terms, not the other way around. And I think that that's the Bucks kind of do that, but they do it in a different way where they very much stick to the system. Coach Bud is all about the system. Stick to the five outs, stick to the blue squares, you know, stick to the zone drop. You know, even when Giannis was playing at center against the Heat, the Giannis was, you know, executing the zone drop, which great. That's the, probably the worst way to use him at center, but it, it goes to show their level of discipline. And discipline is good. Discipline is useful. But at some point, yes, there is value in somebody that's that's willing to impose on the other team. And, yeah, there, there are guys on the roster that could have done that, two of them that are presumably leaving. I think Wes Matthews was maybe not the most impactful player, but he was definitely willing to do that. Um, but, anyway, the, the, the usefulness of having somebody that's willing to impose – their will, and, and and to be to be honest, Giannis does do that. That's that's exactly what Giannis does. But if that is, is his downfall because his will is to drive to the basket and dunk over everybody, through everybody, on everybody, and it doesn't work. And he's so dang stubborn that you know he he's. I think that when he gets into those moments, that you know that's that's what he knows that he's the best at, and so he's trying to will his team to victory, and it's just. It's, it's just a fruitless exercise. And so getting somebody else that might be able to also match that level of intensity uh, while also, you know, still performing at a high level skills wise and, you know, being able to, you know, fit within the scheme, uh, maybe even forcing the scheme to adjust, which is probably another underrated value of having somebody with a strong will. Um, I, I think that there's definitely a way where that point makes sense. I don't know how much I agree with it at face value, but I think there's a lot of underlying traits that that do matter a great deal when it comes to playoff success all right last question here from the great man matt velasquez he asked john horst how do you navigate having to re to rebuild a roster that only has eight guys signed and not many internal free agents and he followed it up uh with a question and yeah th this this was one that i i think uh most of the listeners will uh, be interested in yeah, I think Matt, you know, part of what you said is is the reason last year was so important for us was to have that core created and intact, and that core is created and is intact. I mean, we have um, high performing players that are under contract and, and with us um, that have been part of a lot of success here in the last couple of years in Milwaukee basketball, and our goal is to figure out how to add to that, how to adjust, and how to kind of continue to grow and move forward. And so the fact that uh, eight players is not a high number of players, but the, our core is intact. The group is intact. And so, you know, we just got to continue to figure out what we want to do um, on the margins. Of course, we'll consider all options to improve. Like nothing is, is off the table. Um, but the fact that we have a group that's uh, established success and sustained success is a great place to grow from.
And if I may just follow up real quick, um, you know, with, you know, Eric mentioned Giannis and the possibility for Supermax and all that with the, the playoff situations you guys have had the past two years and with Giannis's contract still up in the air, is there a, a, a feeling like you guys need to kind of take a bigger swing this year? Uh, now, instead of bringing everybody back and keeping the group together, it's okay. Now we need to really go for it. Yeah, I think it's a great question, but I think we've been really going for it since day one. <laughs> and these things are not linear. Champion, pursuit of championships are not linear. It's not, it doesn't happen. You know, you don't just go from whatever we were when I took over to 40 wins to 45 to 50 to 55, et cetera, and just start winning championships. That's not how it happens. And so I think we continue to focus on taking big swings, making the appropriate moves, trying to add the best talent, the best culture fit, um, the best roster fit that we can for Bud's system, for Giannis's skill set, um, and for the city of Milwaukee. And I think this will be no different than it has been in the past. We'll, we'll uh, navigate and explore and try to create as many options as we can and make the best decisions we possibly can to push ourselves into uh, competing for championships for many, many years. And so it's, uh, yeah, I, I think the answer is that I think that's what we've always done is, is try to look to take big swings and push the envelope and be as great as we can be. So I think... We have to caution the listeners a little bit here because I do think that there's some wording in this that could be seen as pretty frustrating, particularly when you talk about making moves around the margins. Now, we know, like we know for a fact, there's been too many reports, too many rumors, and too many uh, trades that have been discussed by verified sources that tell us that Eric Bledsoe, they are looking to trade that guy. So we know that with the amount of players the Bucks have been linked to, they are looking at making more than moves around the margins. But at the same time, I think this is John Horst accepting that most of the players that the Bucks want to acquire that would take a big move that you would really look at and say are needle movers are going to be very, very hard to execute. And I think this is why over the last probably week or two, I've pivoted to suggesting players and suggesting trades that I think most listeners would be, their automatic reaction is, well, that's not going to bring the Bucks a championship. And I agree. <laughs> I agree. This is why this offseason is so difficult right now, because I think that there is probably a realization that it's going to be tough to have the perfect offseason, potentially with so uh, especially with so many other moves going around and so many moving parts and so many teams looking to get involved. Yeah, it's, it's tough to look at any one player that's actually feasible for the Bucks to pick up. Like, one of the players that I've always loved, like just, you know, if I was playing 2K and I was going to just generate a trade that I wanted to happen, it would be Damian Lillard, right? I think no, everybody, everybody that's listening yeah. would be ecstatic if Damian Lillard was on his way to Milwaukee. But who would we have to send back to make that worthwhile? Would you send Chris? I mean, there's some question about whether or not sending Chris is worthwhile. But if you don't send Chris, like, what else are you sending that's going to be worth Portland's while? In that instance, you're going to send Eric and Ursan's money and Dante, presumably, you know, DJ is technically still a young player ish. So, you know, all the picks and pick swaps that you can hope for, but like, is that really going to be good enough? No, it's not. It's really not. And so with, with that in mind and knowing what the Bucks asset base is like, like he, uh, horse said something about the core being intact this year and it wasn't intact last year. Like that's true. That's absolutely true. And the core of this team has performed extremely well 
in the regular season and has put the team in position to win the playoffs. But there is no one player that's a silver bullet that's going to fix all of the problems that we've seen unravel Milwaukee in the postseason. There's no one guy that's going to fix that. Not, it's not Chris Paul isn't going to fix those problems. It's not Drew Holiday. It's not James Harden for the people that are trying to advocate for a James Harden trade, which is I, – I don't even know where to start with that. Uh, I don't think it's feasible, and we'll just end it there. Um, <laughs> but, but when it comes to – like, it, it's not necessarily they're pursuing continuity. It's that they're being realistic about their current environment. And like, okay, from where we are, not from where we were, where we could be, worrying about Malcolm Brogdon or the, tr- the traded player exception that we didn't use or whatever the case might be. Like, where are we now? What do we have now? And what can we do that will provide meaningful improvements going forward? And that meaningful improvement is going to have to come from within as well as outside the team. It's going to have to come from Giannis and Chris. It's going to have to come from – if Eric Bledsoe is somehow not traded, it's going to have to come from him. I don't know how likely that is, but it's possible. And a lot of it is going to have to come from Bud. Budenholzer is going to have to exercise a lot more flexibility with his scheme and just and you know, not be so rigid when it comes to you know sticking to the plan all the time. Um, that's it's, there's there's so many different things that the Bucks have to fix in order to get out of the East. And because there is no one player who's going to magically solve all those problems, they have to be smart and they have to cast a wide net to see what they can do, not what we want them to do. I think that that's an interesting point you make, just as we look to wrap this up here, because I do think that there is some scenario, I don't think it's a likely scenario, but I think there is a small scenario where you have enough growth from within, when you talk about coaching and you talk about some of the players that could improve now is it likely i am probably going to say no but it, it is there and it is some small chance that it could be there now it's not the most exciting way to look ahead to next season but just as i'm uh, talking here i just got a tweet that basically outlines what i'm talking about so the quote from horse that i tweeted out was our core is intact the group is intact we're just going to continue to figure out what we do what we want to do on the margins of course We'll consider all options to improve. Nothing is off the table, but the fact we have a group that's established success and sustained success is a great place to grow from. Now, the frustrating part there for the fans is margins, and at Carl Phenom just tweeted literally a few seconds ago here and said, margins, that's horrible. They're standing pat. What a joke. Now, again, I just want to caution everyone here. Now, I'm not saying that they're, they're going to do something crazy because I don't know right now. Everything is up in the air, but I just would not go crazy about that use of the word margins there because John Horst is sitting in his office right now and he can't come out and say, oh yeah, we're blowing it up. We're trading everyone. But if you think that he's not making phone calls, then I I think that's been a little uh, ignorant as well. But I also understand that Bucks fans right now are right on edge. And I I think there's, there's every reason to feel that way. It's, it's going to be a stressful few weeks here, but I, I will say if nothing happens in the first few few days here it's not panic time it doesn't mean nothing is going to happen at all because again we know they've been making the calls and they've been making players available absolutely especially when you think about the circumstances surrounding some of the players they have been linked to publicly you know victor oladipo being one where if you know the news of the bucks trading you know a bunch of assets for victor oladipo broke today like there'd be plenty of people myself included they're like ah, yeah the upside's there but there's a lot of risk 
mm-hmm. you know, ditto for your, your countryman, Patty Mills. Like, Patty Mills brings a lot of upside, but also he, you know, is an older player and, you know, it has some weaknesses in his game. Like, oh, well, is, is this going to really move the needle or anything? Just think about the timing as well. You know, other players that the Bucks have been linked to, specifically Bogdan Bogdanovich and then Harrison Barnes from the Sacramento Kings, the only way that works is with the sign-in trade. And the sign-in trade can't happen until free agency opens up. <laughs> that can't happen until after the draft, which is tom- tomorrow? Well, I don't know. What, what day is it? If it's, it's Tuesday for you, and yeah, so it's Wednesday, Monday Wednesday night here. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're roughly 48 hours away from the draft, maybe a little bit less. Um, there's just there's so many things that have to happen in sequential order. There's just a chronology to all of this. John Horst isn't going to be able to, to like pull a Jedi mind trick on the Wizards and get them to reverse course on Bradley Beal and trade them to us for DJ and some future seconds. That's just not realistic. What is realistic is that the team is going to make the move that's going to improve them the most for the short term. I, th- I think that they're absolutely in win now. I don't think that they have any interest in adding future assets unless there was a way to somehow flip those assets into a player that can help win now. Because again, the point of the whole thing is to get Giannis to commit long-term. Maybe that's already going to happen. We won't even know that until free agency opens up. He's not allowed to sign the extension yet. That'll happen later this week. And we can freak out about that then. We don't need to freak out about it now. What we do need to do is to hunker down Everybody should be hungry down anyway because, you know, it's still 2020. That's, that's what we have to do. But we have to take stock of what the other teams are doing, look at how that affects the landscape, and they're like, okay, what are the realistic moves the Bucks can do? Let's not, you know, get, 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 your, get out of the pipe dreams, you know, no more pie-in-the-sky wishes. Like, what is feasible? What can actually happen that is actually beneficial? And we just may not be there in terms of the timeline of the offseason yet. it's one of the times where it's the most difficult to be patient, but you just have to be a little bit patient. And let's be honest, the last time the Bucks weren't patient, they signed Ersan Uyosover at 12.01am and everyone was angry about that as well. So sometimes it's a little bit difficult to win at this time of year, but we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out. Remember, the last couple of years, two of the more impactful signings that the Bucks made happened significantly after free agency opened when you think about Brook Lopez and then obviously last year, the signing of Wesley Matthews, who became a starter for the Bucks as well. So those types of moves aren't the ones I, I know. I understand that the fans want, but we're just going to have to wait and see how this plays out a little bit. And again, it's probably going to be a stressful time, but uh, this podcast is going to be more and more difficult, I feel like, to keep to a timely 30-minute uh, show that we try to do. We've blown through that today, Mitchell, but it's always great to catch up with you. Likewise, Kane. If any minute not spent talking to you is a minute wasted in my book. <laughs> Okay, that's that's the absolutely perfect way to end this show. Uh, again, you can see Mitchell's work over at brewhoot.com. For me, uh, you can uh, see me just being an absolute idiot on Twitter or uh, you can also find my words over at nba.com and ESPN. But uh, we will be back tomorrow. We will be within 24 hours of the draft by the time we're recording tomorrow night's show. So it's going to be an exciting few days here and we'll see how the, all this plays out. For Mitchell and myself, uh, stay safe. We'll speak to you guys tomorrow.